0: Hey, Reach Paramount! Welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Amen, amen. Well, it's it's awesome to be in the house of God. You may take your seat this morning. I just want to I just want to welcome everyone here that's joining us this morning, and those of you that are joining us online. Thank you so much. For the past couple weeks, or, or just under two weeks, i have you may not have seen me here, um, I was actually traveling on business for a little bit, for work, and um, I hadn't traveled in, uh, since COVID took place, because we, we were on lockdown, we couldn't travel, and so that lifted, and I had to go, I, I was actually in the Philippines for the past few weeks, and um, it was cool because I didn't realize when I landed in the Philippines, that as we started to see people and and begin to, I started to reconcile with them. It's been a long time since I see them. So a lot of hugs, a lot of, you know, kisses on the cheek. I've missed you. And, um, you know, I realized I wasn't a pastor the last time I was there. And so I told them, you know, some of them in conversation over dinner, you know, I'm a pastor now. And it sparked up some, some, you know, some conversations, and some of them I've told them to follow our church watch online, and so they followed. So if anyone from the Philippines is watching, um, God bless you. Thank you so much. Um, and so I also want to take this opportunity to thank Pastor Moore for giving me the platform to speak this morning. I'm excited. Uh, I just feel refreshed. I was away for a while, and... When you're away from church and you love church, it's very hard. I want to just tell you that. It's very hard to be away from my church family. I've missed you guys so much. Um, And I want to thank the pastoral team for entrusting with me this morning with God's Word. Um, But we are going to be continuing this series of Finish the Fight. And I wanted to spend some time talking to you about fighting for a little bit. Is that all right? Some of us, especially some of the guys in here. Um, and some women too. Obviously, we've gotten into fist fights going through high school, right? We've we've gotten we've we've had we've had to defend ourselves, and uh, and I think I think most guys have gotten into fights that I've ever talked to, you know. And and maybe it was in self-defense, maybe you started the fight, but you scheduled it, you know. Like sometimes you schedule ske- it's going to be after school, you know, or I'll see you in this parking lot or I'll see you behind this liquor store. That's generally where fights happen if you never knew that. But you know, you schedule it and, 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 uh, and, and you begin to defend yourself and as I begin about finishing the fight, I, I realize that you can only finish the fight if you have the endurance to finish a fight. Okay, so with that, I'm going to pray. If you would just bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word this morning. Father, I ask that your spirit would begin to move in this place, that it would not be my words that begin to penetrate the heart, but your words, Lord. I pray for transformation, that your spirit would saturate us with your love, your grace, your forgiveness, and your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... I remember uh, in my first fight that I've ever gotten into, it was scheduled and it was behind a liquor store. <laughs> and it was, uh, I think it was like seventh or eighth grade. And, uh, and I remember I was so nervous the night before. <laughs> you know, you're real tough. You're really tough, you know, before the fight. But now you have to wait for the fight. It becomes very, very anxious you know and and so i i, I and, and again, this is a long time ago, guys, this is like I didn't even know the Lord you know i was I was just a dumb junior hire, you know, and so I, you know I remember scheduling this fight, I was so nervous and i i I remember when i you know I got into that fight, I remember the one thing I'm gonna have to do is you know i I'm gonna have to do this really quickly because if i don't if I don't get this done and wrap this fight up in a certain amount of time, I'm going to lose this fight. Uh, just looking at my stature, you probably have already guessed that I was a smaller opponent, OK? So I was, I was already at a disadvantage. Those of you that are small and know how to fight, the first thing you do is level the playing field. You try to get them on the ground so they're not taller than you, right? You're la- some of you are laughing, but I'm giving you some good advice here to the small guys. You get them on the ground, and you end that thing as fast as you can, because if that person gets up, you're in big trouble. But endurance is what's going to take. It's mental toughness, and 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 not just with fighting, right? If it's anything athletic, right, you're, or any type of competition, you're going to need some kind of some type of mental toughness. And and mental toughness is something that if you are mentally tougher than the opponent. You could win despite any physical ability. In other words, if you are determined, if you have the endurance, you can possibly win. And I, would, I remember thinking about um, Mike Tyson. Who's thought about Mike Tyson before? Who's watched him fight before? Mike Tyson would go out there and he would, he would literally knock people out. And he would try to do it within like the first three rounds in a 12-round bout. Because if he can do it in the first three rounds, he doesn't have to worry about the other rounds, right? So he would give it his all. He was like a bull out there. When the bell rang, he'd just go right into it and begin to try to defeat his opponent. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and you're welcome to laugh at me, okay? I, was, um, I, I remember for a short period of time, this is right when I just got married, um, I decided to sign up for a, a martial arts class. And so I signed up for this martial art called Krav Maga. Okay, some of you may have heard of it. But it's from the IDF. The Israeli Defense Force really put this together. And it takes all the martial arts from, you know, judo, everything, to taekwondo. And it puts them together into this, this awesome collaboration of self-defense. And this art of Krav Maga is a, a really one of the best defense defense mechanisms you can train in, even to this day. And the Israeli Defense Force, it's mandatory that you learn this martial art for hand-to-hand combat and self-defense. And so I decided to take this class, and it was like in Huntington Beach. And I remember I signed up for it, and they give you like, you know, they do that thing where they give you, you know, two free classes. And then you could decide to take the long-haul contract You know, it's going to cost you like, you know, an arm and a leg. And so I decided to take the free classes. And I remember the uh, day, I walked into a class and it was day one for me, but not for everybody else. And it was a pretty big group of about 50 people. So he said, I want you to get into groups of four and I want you to surround each other. So basically I would get in the middle or somebody would get in the middle and three people they said, are going to attack you. (laughs) And I'm thinking, mind you, at this time, we're doing basics for like, you know, the first 20 minutes of how to, and there's mirrors, you know, so you're looking at yourself, you know, and, and they're training you how to, you know, your back, your footing, the snap of your wrist, how everything should go, and, it, you know, it's methodical, so you're, you're trying to train your brain to do something, snap the wrist, arch the back, you know, lean forward, and I remember, I'm like, yeah, you know, I got this, I know the coach is going to like me, you know, I'm learning a lot, I'm picking it up quickly, and so, but we get into groups, right, and there was, um, uh, you know, I'm looking around, we're, tr- we're looking for a group, and I, you know, I was last picked, so I was like... Okay, I'm going to go to this group. And, and in this group was like two girls. And then one other guy. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be awkward. Right? And, and so he goes, okay, now get in the middle. And so one of the girls goes, I'll go first. And then he goes, okay, now I want you to hit them. Hit them hard. This is not a simulation. You're going to hit them hard. And I'm looking at this girl, I'm like, oh my God, this is not my cup of tea right now. <laughs> I do not want to hit this gal. And then, and then I, so I said, I'm like, do you really want me to, I, do you want me to hit you? <laughs> you know, I said that. I said, do you, do you really want me? I, and she goes, yes, I want you to hit me. And she was, you know, little did I know, she was like this advanced student. So we're hitting her. And you know what? One thing about the um, Krav Maga, is if you're good at it, and, and the whole point of the martial art is not just to defend against one attacker, but it's to defend against multiple attacks at the same time. So the training, if you're a tr- well-trained in the, in the art of Krav Maga, you will know how to fight with someone with people surrounding you, but also defending yourself at the same time to where you wouldn't get beat up. Let me tell you something. We were, we were hitting this girl and she was hitting us back. She hit me in the face. She and I'm like, "Oh my god." Like and so I'm sitting there like, "Oh my gosh. I don't know if I can survive this. This is I'm not ready for this." And so they go, "Okay, let's rotate." She survives it just fine. As a matter of fact, I learned a lot in that, you know, 30 seconds. I learned which is a long time. But I learned a lot from her in that 30 seconds. She was really defending herself well against everybody at the same time. And it was like perfect, the way she was doing it. And so now it was my turn. And let me just tell you this. I told you about that high school fight, right? I was more nervous then at this fight. Even though this was a controlled environment, even though that this, this, this environment is gonna be a safe place, I was so nervous walking into the middle of these three people. Two of them were women, right? And so she goes up to me and she goes, do you really want me to hit you? And I look at her, I go, don't you dare hit me. And so I, I, you know, we go at it and honestly, I get beat up. I think I hit the floor one time. Right, I was, I was losing my breath. It was 30 seconds of just like pure torture because you're fighting three people, right? And um, I, I, I just remember in that 30 seconds, I felt like throwing up because I got beat up and my anxiety was really high and I was exhausted. And it's like that. The enemy's gonna try to get you to get that tired. If you ever catch yourself amongst brothers and sisters of Christ saying, I'm tired of this, I'm done, you're not in a good place. You're exactly where the enemy wants you to be. See, you're gonna, you're gonna be able to, to go through, you need to be able to go through life understanding that the enemy's not just gonna attack you one time. So you don't read scripture, you don't understand your spirituality to just win one battle. You're really, what, what the Bible is trying to do, it's trying to cultivate a warrior inside of you. That's why when, when, it's, when it talks about Jesus bringing transformation, Jesus putting himself inside of you, you inviting Jesus into your life to be the master of your life, you are inviting a lion. You're inviting something strong. You're inviting something that, that is greater than one circumstance that, is, that can defeat Multiple circumstances. It's going to take you not from just one circumstance to another, but it's going to literally invite the enemy to bring everything he has because you are that powerful with Jesus inside of you. So to this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about spiritual endurance. See, because there's one thing that I tried to do in my life is not just be physically tough. Like, you could honestly see that. Okay? But I want to be mentally tough. I want to be spiritually tough in my life. Because I understand that the enemy is going to throw everything he can to tear me down. He's going to throw every fastball, every curveball in my life to get me to not come to church, to get me to not worship him. And I have to understand that I need to have the endurance to receive this beating, but also to stand up tall and say, you know what, God? I'm going to put this before you. I'm going to rely on you. I'm not going to rely on anybody else. I'm not going to think about the circumstance to a point where it brings me to the point where it brings me through depression, anxiety. I'm not going to let my mental health get destroyed by the enemy. I'm going to be tough. I want to understand the best art. And the best art to do that is the Word of God. Okay, it's not some martial art. It's spiritual art. Amen. It's something that's greater than that, that has ever been written in life is the Bible. The Bible begins to make you spiritually tough. You see, people, you see heroes in the Bible, heroes of faith that you find in Hebrews chapter 13. They have gone through battles where they failed, gotten up, they've been able to overcome the mental health issues that they've had to deal with, the doubt, everything, the depression. They are able to overcome it because they serve a great and almighty God. See, spiritual endurance is. It's, it changes everything, right? If you begin to serve God and you understand, like you literally understand that God can change you and transform you, then you begin to submit to it. If you don't believe that God can transform you and you serve something else, then it will never happen. You will never receive that transformation. It is only by complete submission to God, not submission to the world, not submission to the enemy. It is complete submission to Jesus Christ that is going to bring the transformation. Your career can't change you. Your spouse can't even change you. It is only Jesus that can bring this sort of change. I want to talk to you a little bit about Sarah and Abraham this morning. Some of you may know the scripture. Let me just kind of tell you exactly what's happening in their lives, is that God gave Abraham a word telling him that you are going to be, your descendants are going to be a, a promise of every nation. It's going to be a blessing. And so what ends up taking place is Sarah, she's not able to have children. And so it's frustrating them because they have this calling on their life to be a blessing to many nations, which is the Abrahamic covenant. And we need to produce children in order to do the will of God. Unfortunately, they can't. Sarah was barren. And so what Sarah does is like, you know what, we can't have children. You know what, Abraham? Why don't you go sleep with the maidservant, Hagar? Well, this is a novella, right? (laughs) So Abraham gets his hall pass to go sleep, to go sleep with Hagar, who gives birth to Ishmael. And so this is a child that is born not out of the promise, it's a child that's born out of the flesh. It's a child born out of impatience. It's a child that is born without understanding God's promise and not having faith. It was an unfaithful, unfaithful event on many occasions for him to sleep with the maidservant. And so Sarah becomes a little bitter through this process. She sees that Hagar has, been given, has given birth to a child. Obviously, there is some jealousy there. Some resentment takes place. It begins to grow. And, and, and what, what ends up happening is there's a moment that God and Sarah begin to have this conversation in Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. I want to read it to you this morning. It says, in verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? In other words, why is God waiting this long to give me this child? Why is God saying this now? How come he didn't give me this child earlier? Am I, I'm too worn out. Why is he waiting now? Shall I have pleasure in even doing this anymore? Should I believe in God's will anymore? Let's continue to read in verse 13. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear children or bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So here we go. We see Sarah has kind of this attitude. How many of us had attitude in here? Okay, I raised my hand so you could raise your hand. The four of you that raised your hand. So there's four of us that have attitude this morning. But you can kind of see Sarah's attitude here in scripture, in her conversation with Abraham and God. It was clear that she laughed. So God is giving her a a blessing. God is giving her a promise. He's telling her something great. She's hearing from the Almighty, but she laughs at the Almighty. She chuckles at him and says, yeah, am I to be, you know, now you're going to give me a child? right so we see this bitterness is coming out it's 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 beginning to come out in the attitude of sarah where now she's almost laughing at god like okay yeah after everything we've been through god really okay whatever there's no endurance here there's nothing great that is happening in this relationship between sarah and god we see a dysfunction in the relationship just like you, you may think, okay, God, like you've blessed them, but what about me? I've been waiting here all along. I've been praying. I've been doing all these things. I've been doing all this stuff, and I see Hagar get the blessing. I see the child, Ishmael, where's my child? And Where's my blessing, Lord? How come this person has all the favor and I don't have it? See, let me tell you something. When you start to speak like that you're upset because God isn't on your timeline or your agenda. And in this process with Sarah we we have to understand that it is not Sarah's decision at this time to give birth. God is putting them through this trial. God is putting him he's making them wait. He's making them fight. He's making them seek his will. He's making them trust in him and his promises. See, we all have an agenda, but we don't see God's agenda. We need to stop making decisions based on the agenda and narrative that you have for your life. See, we think that I have this narrative, I have this picture of what my life should look like, God. So insert yourself into it. No, that's the wrong understanding. That's not how God works. God wants to take that picture. He wants to make it brighter. He wants to make it better. He wants to make it bigger your narrative your agenda is too small for him it's too little it's too easy it's not challenging so God is saying give me your life give me all the concerns you have everything that you have doubt in give it to me so that I can give you more I'm going to show you that your vision is too small my vision is bigger And if you trust in me, Sarah, I'm going to give you not only a child, but I'm going to give you a child that is going to bring the covenant and bring the promise and bring Jesus on this earth. But I need you to be faithful in this, Sarah. I need you to trust in God. And God is telling you the same exact thing in this story. You need to trust in him. Have a little bit of endurance. Not to go by your own narrative. Not to follow your own agenda. But follow God's agenda, which is going to take time. That's why he talks to you about peace when you read his word. It's going to take, take you going through trials. That's why he's trying to tell you to be endure and worship me through every little season in your life. B- endure and worship me. You can only imagine Sarah's attitude. We can be just like that. Rather than trusting in God's promises, we trust in our agenda. Stop making excuses to not serve God. Stop making excuses so you can live out this narrative. You know a narrative is not a fact? Did you know that? It's just a narrative. It's just a story. But it's not a fact. In other words... Some of you have these narratives for your life, this agenda for your life, and you know what? It's not stopping God, it's just stopping you. It's just stopping you. Your agenda stops you. It doesn't stop God in his perfect will, but it stops you from partaking in his will. It stops us, our agenda limits us to our small little vision, to our small little understanding, God begins to look at us and say, why are you not trusting in me? Just as he looks at Sarah, are you laughing at me? Some of you have laughed at God, saying, God, why are you not listening? You know what the definition of faith, it has an interesting word in it. This is from the Oxford Dictionary. It says this, faith is the complete trust or confidence in someone or something. That word confidence, that word confidence is almost like it's an action. To be confident in the Lord. Be confident that I have God in my life. Therefore, everything that comes at my life, God is going to take care of it. And I'm going to submit to him through the process. I'm going to give it to him during that process. So that confidence is not from me. So when I walk around church and I got my chest out and I'm being confident, it's not because of me. It's because who lives inside of me. That's why I'm not not gonna let a circumstance or a trial begin to tear me down and push me down and limit my confidence. Now, I understand that we can go through trials and our confidence be completely deteriorated when we're walking with our heads down and we're defeated. But here we see with Sarah, she's, she's let it grow into a bitterness. Abraham, the one who's supposed to lead the relationship, goes right into sin, listens to that, That bitterness, listens to everything, sleeps with Hagar. But God's telling you, trust in me. Have a little confidence. It is not me that should puff the chest up, but rather God. Let him transform you to that. If you truly believe in the transformation, submit to it and let him transform you. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. In other words, not all of you are going to understand what I'm preaching this morning. Not all of you are going to accept it, but you have the power to. You have the power to make the decision to allow God to move in your life. It is nobody else. It's not me as your pastor. It's not any of the assistant pastors. It's not Pastor Omar as your senior pastor. It's not any of that. It's not up to us. It's up to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I love this verse because the Apostle Paul is telling us that there are several degrees to this glory. You ever walk into church and you're realizing it? sometimes, ah, church again, this is hard oh man, I gotta look at a bunch of people that are hypocrites and you come in with a bad attitude. We're not hypocrites, we're just failures trying to lift up victory in our lives. So if you sit here and you, or your family member tells you, why do you go to church? There's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, a bunch of sinners. Because we need Jesus. I tell people at work all the time, they ask me, why do you go to church so much? Well, I said, number one, I'm a pastor. Number two, because I need it. Because you make me frustrated. And they love that. They love that honesty. Because I got to deal with you every day. So I go to midweek because I'm all messed up after being with you. I'm twisted, I'm wicked. I need church just as more as you. If not more. Again, we need to stop lying to ourselves with some narrative being influenced by people that don't know anything about the word of God or Jesus himself. We allow people to speak into our lives. So Why are you going to that church? You know, why are you doing church all the time? It's just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, you wanna, if you can find a church with perfect people, let me know. Because it doesn't exist. We come to church because we are fractured, dysfunctional. Because we act like Sarah. Because we have an attitude. I have an attitude too. Ask some of the pastors. I give it to them. <laughs> we all have it, man. We're, we're, we just love each other. We have grace for each other. Joyce Meyer says this in The Battlefield of the Mind. She says it is important for God to arrange our circumstances in such a way that we eventually have to face ourselves. I love this quote because I think that's a lot of what God does is when you accept him, you have to realize how dysfunctional you are. You start to realize, wow, I really am messed up and weak, you know? And I think, I think we see that even in the Old Testament. We see that with David. We see that with Moses, how messed up they did. Again, Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer, right? He did all these bad things, but they did all these good things as well. And it's through the power of Christ and the power of God that they're able to accomplish so many things in the Old Testament, them relying on God, but eventually they had to face themselves, understand and come to the realization how fractured they are, that we're not perfect, that the amount of money in our bank account doesn't decide if we go to heaven or not or if we love Jesus, that our, the, that our careers and, and the job titles that we have don't give us an identity, you know, I want to talk about, and I know evangelist John Tahaji preached an awesome word on Wednesday on Jacob. And I remember we were talking a little bit about Jacob in, in, in the pastor's office before he preached. And um, the story of Jacob and Esau is a crazy story. I decided, when I found out I was gonna preach on Sunday, or today, I, I started to read a little bit about it because it'd been a while since I personally read it. And it was interesting to see who this person Jacob was. Even at birth, this guy was like determined and uh, at birth, if you don't know, Rebecca was, I believe she was pregnant, right? With, with, with twins, and she had Jacob and Esau inside of her. And as she's giving birth, Esau's coming out first, which means he's going to be the firstborn. That means he's going to have the inheritance, the double portion. Everything is going to be his one day, and it's going to be passed down to him. This was the culture. This is how things worked back then. But in the womb, as as she was giving birth, the Bible was very clear that as he was coming out second, he grabbed on to the heel of Esau. And the Bible's funny because it starts to, you know, talk about Esau's physical appearance. He was hairy. You know, he wasn't like this pretty looking child. I mean, it was just awful how the the Bible does him dirty. (laughs) And this is how I think when I read the Bible, guys. Just bear with me. Again, they're doing him dirty, man. That's messed up. But we learn a little bit about Esau and Jacob. Esau was dad's favorite, Isaac's favorite, because he was like, you know, wilderness guy, hunting bow and arrow, catching, you know, uh, you know, game and all that, and, and just, and, and he was a hunter. Jacob was a mama's boy. He was kind of like, you know, he was pretty. <laughs> you know, he, he was good looking. But he was also had this determined attitude, and, and so there was one time where Esau, um, was out in the field, he's working, the Bible tells us he's working very hard and he's tired, he's exhausted. And so he he uh Jacob was back at the, you know, I don't know, the ranch, I don't know what it was. Back at the house, he's making some stew, right? And he and Esau goes up to him, like, hey Jacob, um I'm tired, man. Can I have some of that stew? He's like, no man. (laughs) And he's being rude to his brother Esau. He's like, come on, man, I'm going to die. I'm going to, I'm going to, and the Bible says, he said, I'm going to die. Give me some stew. He's like, no. He's like, we got to make a deal. Jacob goes, give me your birthright. Give me your birthright. He's like, it's not going to matter anyways. I'm going to die. Whatever. Have my birthright. Jacob gives him stew. They exchanged birthright. So this would mean that Jacob has now the, the firstborn, but then there's the blessing that took place. In other words, the father has to bless this. So if you didn't know, Isaac's getting ready to die, his dad, and he's losing his vision, the Bible says. And so there's a moment where he tells Rebecca, bring in Esau so I can bless my firstborn. And and then Rebecca goes, you know what, this is a good time to just bring in Jacob, my favorite son, so he can get the blessing. And so, you know, Jacob puts on the Bible says he puts on Esau's clothes, kind of looks like Esau now, goes in front of his dad, who's partially blind, and his dad blesses him. Now this is where things go really bad, because this was almost out of done illegally, out of a lie. But it was Jacob's determination. Now Jacob has a double portion of inheritance. He has the birthright, and he has the blessing from his father. Esau is enraged, the Bible says. He gets so angry that he mouths, I'm going to kill Jacob. So Jacob hears this. Rebecca goes, hey, or Rebecca hears this. He goes, Jacob, you got to go. You got to leave. You got to flee. Esau's going to kill you. He lost everything right now. You got to go. Jacob flees, and they never see each other. For 20 years. For 20 years, they don't see each other. And you gotta understand, what ends up taking place is, Jacob hears that Esau's gonna to come to see him after 20 years. He's getting anxious. He's getting very scared. What is my brother gonna to do to me? He's gonna kill me? So you know what Jacob does? He says, um, he tells all his servants, he says, um, this is 20 years later. Go get everything I own. Go get, go get, like, the coolest animals, let's put them for Esau. We're going to give Esau an offering. That way he forgives me. And so the night before, or early that morning, he wakes up and he goes, he tells his wives, hey, go over, because he had multiple wives. We're not going to get into that. (laughs) He says, go across Jabbok, the river. Go across the river. Get out of here, because I don't know what Esau's going to do. Get the kids, get out. I'm going to have these offerings for him, and hopefully he has some type of love for me because I feel bad after everything I've done to him, right? And so he's nervous, and he's, he's, I just feel like he's probably clammy. He's probably feeling sick. He's going to see his brother. He, it's on the top of his mind. And so what ends up taking place is this is the moment where God meets Jacob face to face. And this is what takes place in Genesis chapter 32, verse 11. He says this to God. He says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau for I fear him that, may he, that he may come and attack me and the mothers of the children. So he's feeling regret. But this is what takes place in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. It says, the same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go Penal, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered or spared. In other words, Jacob begins to wrestle with God. He begins to wrestle with this understanding with God, understanding that I don't know if I can get through this. He's trying to rely on his own understanding. He's trying to rely on the offerings he has placed for Esau. And it wasn't until the last moment he says, God, help deliver me. God says, you know, I'm not only going to help deliver you, I'm going to train you, son. I'm going to train you to trust in me. I want to see your faith. This is what God does with us. I'm going to let you wrestle with me. Now, some scriptures say it was an angel. Some people people say it was God. And he begins to wrestle with this being, this spiritual being. And the Bible says it wasn't until day broke. In other words, it starts... The day's getting old. It's getting long. They've been fighting for a while, and Jacob was not giving up. He wouldn't let go. So much as they finally say, hey, let's stop. It's not Jacob that says it. It's God. Let's stop. And he says, I won't stop, God, until you bless me. He tells him, I'm not going to stop until you bless me. And he goes, okay, what is your name? Then the discussion takes place. So he changes his name, gives him a new identity. Right then and there, he changes his name. He begins to tell him, no, now you're going to be called Israel, which is the name of the nation. He says, no, I'm going to put something on you. And it wasn't because he gave up. It was because of Jacob's spiritual endurance. In other words, I'm feeling a certain way, but I'm not going to let go. And so I'm here to tell you what Jacob's trying to tell us in this story is don't let go. You never want to let go of God. You may be praying for a circumstance that is overwhelming. It's insurmountable, a trial that you're going through, but you're not to give up because the moment you give up, you lose out on the blessing. Instead of giving up, you go in harder. You say, God, I want the blessing from this circumstance. I want more of you. I'm not giving up. I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to pray this through. I'm going to pray this so much that you're going to have to hurt me Just like Jacob got hurt, boom, God knocks him right out of the the hip, out of the socket, and he begins to continue to fight, still fight. Even when his physical, physical body has been damaged, he continues to fight because he didn't let go. You don't want to let go because God can bless you at any of the moments. From one second to the next, God can begin to turn that situation around. But see, during the wrestling, it was clear that God gave Jacob life, See, you're not going to get the life you want, the life of transformation, the blessings of God, unless you wrestle with him to the point where you're not going to give up. There's been times in my life where I've wrestled with God. I've cursed at him. I said, God, forgive me. I yelled at you. God, forgive me. I'm in a deep place. I'm in a dark place. Those are some of the best moments I had with God. Don't let go. Because he's about to bless you. Jesus says this, I am the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. In John chapter 15, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. In other words, church, are you bearing the fruit? Because it's going to take endurance, it's going to also take determination. See, what we want to do is we want to see fruit right away. It doesn't happen like that for everybody. It's not going to happen like that for most. You have to abide in him. That's not just following the Ten Commandments. Abiding in him is complete submission to him. Understanding he is the one that produces the fruit, not you. And if you think fruit is how big your bank account is or how big your savings account is, it's not. That's not the fruit I'm talking about. I'm talking about fruit that changes lives. Fruit that transforms you. Fruit that gets inside of you and begins to grow grace, love, the fruits of the Spirit, as Paul tells us in Galatians. That's the fruit. So it turns that bitterness that you had, like Sarah did, and it turns it for good. Imagine living life without bitterness. God could only do that. There's nobody else. There's not a psychologist, a counselor. Those are just band-aids, guys. They're good band-aids, but they're band-aids. They don't fix, they don't heal. They're just Band-Aids. God is the only one that can bring that true healing, that true transformation. The other thing we see from Jacob is spiritual determination. See, some of us are weak. I can't go to church today because uh, there's the only time I have time to get my car washed. (laughs) I can't go to church today because my kids' practice ends at 9.30. Yeah, but we have church at 11.00. I can't go to connect group because, you know, Friday's my time. can't go to prayer because I, I sleep in. Those are your excuses. These are things I've been, I've been told. Right? As, you, as, as a pastor, I can't tell you how frustrating it is to hear that. That you let such a small thing keep you away from such a great thing. Right? Oh, I don't read my Bible because I work so late. I'm too tired. Okay? Why? Because I worked late. I'm tired now. Well, you sit there, anyways. It's either you're going to be in front of the TV or you're going to be at church. Oh, I need to rest, or I can't do it because, uh, and this is a good one. Some may take offense to it just a little bit. I can't do it because my kid's going to cry, or my kid's crying, I can't come to church. Bring your kid crying. Don't let your kid dictate your spiritual determination. Don't don't let your kid keep you out of church. Don't let your kid, you know, keep you out of leadership. You bring them to church. I'm gonna brag a little bit. Me and my wife, we brought our kids, double stroller, everything. We did ministry with kids. My family does. We do ministry together. They're coming to church, and all I ask them to do is, hey, just be good. Don't be a distraction in church, because we're ministers. This family is a family of ministers. And we teach them young. Is it bad that they're out late on a Wednesday night before school? No, it's not bad. They want to be out anyways. No kid wants to go to sleep, right? <laughs> but we, some of us allow our kids to just dictate everything. And the, You know what that tells me about your spiritual determination? You're not determined at all. You're just waiting for the next excuse. Now mind you, I understand children get sick. I understand things come up but you know, and you measure yourself. There, of course, there's excuses, excuse, there's the excuse, I, things happen, I get it, okay? Just relax a little bit, don't be so liberal. But I will tell you this, some of you have come up with some excuses and you've allowed them to keep you away from church and you know full well you could have came to church. Those are the excuses I'm talking about. See, what ends up happening is you're not leaning into righteousness anymore you're leaning into unrighteousness. And what I love about Jesus is people forget when they read the word, don't forget that Jesus was a perfect example. He was 100% God, 100% man. It's called a hypostatic union. But at the same time, he was the perfect example because there were times where he relied on the Father. So when Jesus does things, like for example, when he's in temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes to the garden to go talk with Satan literally talk with the father because Satan's right in his ear but he also talks with Satan at the same time and he rebukes him Jesus doesn't ever have to talk to Satan you know why that's recorded there? to be a perfect example of how you should talk to those circumstances and temptation in your life that's why it's in the Bible that's why it's in the Bible that's why it's there it's there to show you how to combat this world it's there to show you the endurance of Jesus the Bible says in that moment he became very very struck with like anxiety heaviness some translations say that it stops him right in his feet I gotta go pray and he tells us I gotta pray and he goes and he prays dealing with the temptation Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9 verse 23 and he said to all if anyone come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever would save his life he will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it Dwight Moody Dwight L. Moody said this he said let God have your life he can do more with it than you can anyways Jesus was able to endure so much But he's calling us to be refined. He's calling us to endure these trials, endure these things with him, not without him. Not to live life without him, but live right with him. Because this is the fight. The fight is you being consistent with him. Not inconsistency, but consistent. Getting refined by him. So the way you develop your endurance is you be spiritually determined. You do not let go. You lean into the righteousness and you ask God for the blessing just like Jacob did. See, at the moment, to close this out, Jacob, he's gonna meet Esau. And I love this part. This has been 20 years. So I'm gonna read to you some scripture here that in, in, I gotta read it quickly in Genesis chapter 33 verse 3. He said, it says this, as he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So we see Jacob now take a position of honor. He's hearing his brother. He just finished wrestling with God and he sees his brother and he's gonna, as he's humbled, he's bowing down. He's bowing down before his brother. In other words, he's like submitting to his brother saying, this is it. Now mind you, his hip was already out of socket. So this painful understanding is seeing his brother, he bows to him several t- seven times, the Bible says. And it says this in verse four, but Esau ran to him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept together. Everything that Jacob was worried about, the wrestling with God, the blessing was right there. God was in complete control Jacob had nothing to worry about. Esau embraces him and they weep together. Sometimes in life we have these circumstances where we think we understand the ending, but we don't. If we can rely and trust on him, I'm telling you, church, you're going to meet God face to face at times. And you tell him right then and there when you're meeting God face to face, give me my blessing. See, some of you have never asked God for those things. What you're asking God is the answer you think to the circumstance. But sometimes all you have to do is ask him, I just want your blessing. I want your will. And that's what it takes. It takes that endurance for you to overcome the things of God. It takes that endurance to overcome these circumstances. See, when you trust in God, you lean into that righteousness. In other words, you're not going to lean into a reflex that the world wants you to lean in. Oh, I got something going on with me. I better go see a psychiatrist. Nothing against that. But have you prayed? Have you talked to your pastor? Have you prayed with your leader? Have you prayed with your wife? Have you done these things? This is the reflex of endurance. Endurance it's the spiritual determination have you been open about the things you're going through with something with somebody that's been spiritual this is the endurance that I'm talking about it's a reflex lean into the righteousness even when you're you're cloudy you don't know what's going to happen just like Jacob didn't know how Esau was going to embrace him just like hey I don't know how this is going to end but God I'm going to lean into your righteousness I'm going to ask for you to be Become the sole subject of this matter, Lord. So do you have the spiritual endurance to fight for God this morning? Do you have enough to see God, I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna believe, I'm gonna endure so I could see the blessing just like Jacob saw that blessing. See, what God brings is, he brings a lot of reconciliation. Not only with other people, but reconciliation with yourself reconciliation to see who you are. Are you that person that's going to be determined? Are you that person that's going to have the endurance through the trial, through the refinement? Are you going to allow God to transform you through the process? If you would just bow your heads with me this morning.